you're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and check us out online at beardedtheologians.com. You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. And today we have a very uh, special guest with us on the podcast, Dr. Caitlin Hansen from uh, the United Methodist Church for All People. She is the Strategic Initiatives Director and the uh, Minister of Music. Uh, Caitlin, we're we're so glad to have you uh, with us. Um, Would you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Glad to be here. I appreciate you all hosting. Um, yeah, so I'm with United Methodist Church for All People. Church for All People also owns a nonprofit called Community Development for All People. And so I work for both the church and the nonprofit. Uh, the church is a pretty diverse congregation. We're about half white, half black, which reflects the demographics of our surrounding neighborhood. Um, and the congregation is about 60% at or below the poverty line with the other 40% being middle and upper class folk. And so that is a rich community that represents for us the inclusive body of Christ. As minister of music, that means I get to uh, participate and explore a whole range of worship music every Sunday morning. Uh, We're pretty intentional about reflecting both our current congregation and the heavenly congregation that we eventually will be worshiping with. you know, in the light thereafter. And so on Sunday morning, sometimes it's black gospel, uh, hymns, contemporary Christian, Appalachian bluegrass, multilingual. And so it keeps me hopping as minister of music and and enjoy that very much. And then on the nonprofit side, uh, the church owns community development for all people. And that through the nonprofit, we do a whole bunch of work in the realms of affordable housing, health and wellness, and youth development. And so my work on that side spans a range of, of things, just kind of living into the next opportunities that, that God would have for us, and particularly trying to uh, disseminate to uh, our local community and, and nationally the sort of philosophies and theologies that we really felt have undergirded a lot of uh, the richness and success that we've experienced here. And so a lot of what I do is having conversations with other churches and nonprofits uh, about what we do here and, and how to maybe recapitulate that in other settings. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a question about the church side, just and we, we might try to break this up in the sense of just having a church side conversation and then your other hat so that way we don't confuse you. And so I'll, I'll ask the church side question. Um, as you're putting together worship um, and you work towards uh, music, musical diversity in the sense of making sure that, you know, like you meet your community's needs, but then making sure that you meet, um, you know, just staying true to who you all are. Um, what's the greatest thing that gives you life in doing that? Like, you know, what, what gives you life when you do that? For me, having this diverse worship is important for many reasons. We believe, honestly, it's fundamental to our own souls to be worshiping in diverse community. We will know God better when we are worshiping within the full range of God's people. So in the same way that 
Um, you know, my husband knows a part of who I am. My, you know, pastor boss knows a part of who I am. My friends know a part of who I am, my parents. And when they all come together, you'll have a better approximation of a fuller understanding of, of who my being is. We believe that the same is true for God. It's going to take all of us coming together uh, to have a better understanding of who God is in a more intimate relationship. And so, uh, you know, for example, I grew up in a culture that really celebrates um, the approachableness of God, the idea that God is our friend, someone that we can talk to. And then I married somebody who really honors the holiness of a king God that you revere and um, honor and respect. And both of those things are true about God. Uh, but when we come together, we have a fuller picture understanding of, of who God is. And so that's reflected in all aspects of our worship. It's certainly reflected in our music. You know, there are uh, hymns that are, are beautiful that uh, really try to get the full range of all of our theology packed into one song. You know, there's about a million verses in Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, and they're all rich and beautiful. Uh, and that's a good thing. And then there are other cultures um, that are really going to meditate on one concept of God. So, um, you know, just singing the same word gratefulness over and over again so that we can really marinate in that concept. Because uh, I don't know about you, as much as, you know, I try in my prayers at Thanksgiving, I don't fully understand what it means to be grateful to God. And so I need to rest in that and, and marinate in that for a while. And so both of those uh, styles of worship are important as I'm coming into the full presence of God and fully expressing um, that relationship in, in music and song. And so uh, we like to have both of those pre predominantly because we believe it's better for our own souls. And then of course, it's an expression of radical hospitality as we uh, reach out into our community and say, we're honoring your culture. We're honoring uh, where you came from, maybe how you grew up. We're glad you're here. And maybe we're worshiping in a language that as far as we can tell is not currently represented in the congregation, but we're preparing for that day where someone might work, walk through our doors and we're saying, you know, we hoped you might come. Uh, we've been praying for you. We've been preparing for that moment. And you know what? If no one ever comes, then we're ready for that moment in heaven where every tribe, every tongue, and every nation will worship together before the throne. You know, I, I love that approach with music so much because that seems to be a real tension spot in a lot of churches of how we worship musically and how we do this and how we introduce maybe a new, even a new song in the same style, uh, much less a new song in a new style, right? Um, but, but doing that, there's something beautiful that music does, right? Uh, when, when we reach outside of ourselves and, and we reach into the diversity of, of, of song, it, it brings us together, whether we know each other's backgrounds, whether we know, you know, the cultural context or anything, but it, that begins to break those walls down and build that sense of community. Um, and, and so I love that y'all are preparing for rather than waiting on folks to come and then going, oh, we got to do this now. Uh, no, you're, you're getting ready, right? <laughs> I, I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, and, and definitely something that, that most of us can learn from in our context of let's, let's go ahead and prepare now. And, you know, maybe, maybe nobody shows up, but guess what? We'll be ready when and if they do.
yeah. I love that. I love that. So much of our own identity is shaped by music. Not everyone's into music, but often um, we do have uh, what uh, what we and and some of our friends at Proscaneo Ministries in Georgia have, have termed heart music. Um, and that's that music that just really quickly connects you to God. It's often the music that you listened to or worshiped with between the ages of like 18 and 26. Not always, but often. Um, and honoring someone's heart music is just such a great way to honor their identity and, and who they are. Um, but it's tricky because so much of our own identity is wrapped up in our own heart music and we get really, um, uh, you know, we dig our heels in around what is good music and defining that. Um, but the invitation is, you know, to maybe take a moment, think about the music that you really can't abide, that you just can't stand, and then think about who you might be honoring by uh, you know, bringing that music in, who might you have the opportunity to welcome by honoring that heart music. And it is a process. It, it goes from, you know, first exposure um, and maybe starting with aversion to a sort of, you know, eventual tolerance and acceptance, but truly then moving into um, an affirmation that we may find then becomes our own heart music and we're we're tapping into characteristics of god that we weren't per, uh, previously taking advantage of i might have to play this little section for my worship team that has been pushing back on me wanting to do some different things so uh, might be a good little place uh, that, to do that, that might be a fun little snippet to have a special podcast on and just people <laughs> listen to this <laughs> just listen to the first uh, little section there um and, and so i thinking about that and your diverse community that you all have because um, my experience of it was it was super diverse in the sense of what i see on a sunday morning and and just the beauty of it um and i know that's really cultivated by your culture there and your attitude of who you all are and, and stuff like that um could you mind like talking a little bit about that kind of attitude i i think of a swagger you all have a swagger about yourselves that just like is infectious and i think is welcoming for all people so would you mind talking about that just a little bit sure one of our key foundational concepts is the idea of radical hospitality and uh the greek word that we translate into a hospitality is, is the word philozenia um, and that's really a, a compound word right so Phila being love, like Philadelphia, the city of, of brotherly love. Uh, and then Xenia, like, like Xenos, uh, which is the stranger, that's where we get uh, xenophobia. Um, but instead of xenophobia, it's Philozenia, the love of the stranger. Uh, and so literally translated that idea of hospitality is to love the stranger. And we're really intentional about uh, taking that extra step, being the ones to uh, take the risk and the initiative to be a, a radically hospitable community. We have a phrase around here that says, if the doors are open, the coffee pot's on. And I think that's really emblematic uh, for us of this intentional approach to keep um, our doors and our arms wide open. Uh, and it's allowed us to do any number of things. First of all, we've become a church where some folks that uh, frankly, don't feel welcome 
anywhere else, let alone another church, feel that they can come and, uh, and rest and be heard. And, and that's true for a range of folks. It's, it's true for our hard living community uh, that often get excluded from public spaces in general. Uh, but it's also true for our middle and upper class folks who have felt like they need to wear masks and put on certain airs in order to worship their God. And that's really heartbreaking. And so for us, uh, you know, one of the uh, kind of distinctives of our service, aside from uh, the kind of whiplash range of music that we do, um, is, is a time of sharing of joys and concerns. And, you know, on first brush, sometimes it's where our, our time-oriented culture folks, you know, get kind of uptight, you know, they're going to start passing the mic. What are they doing, you know? Um, and to be honest, it, it is sometimes a longer portion of the service uh, than, than the sermon. Uh, you know, it's, it's the high holy moment for us. And the reason we're so intentional about it is, is a couple of reasons. One, it is an opportunity for folks uh, to be heard in a way that they're often heard nowhere else. Um, and, and I'm intentional about how I'm saying that because this is not the voiceless, this is the unheard. Um, and there's a difference. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it, it matters for folks to, to be seen, to be heard in our community. And then for us, there's another step. You know, hard living folks have have figured out a thing that middle and upper class folks have a harder time uh, understanding in that every good gift comes from God. Uh, we are entirely uh, dependent on God for everything. And, you know, we pray uh, the Lord's Prayer every time we worship, and, and we worship around here seven times a week uh, because of midweek services and whatnot. Um, and every time we do, we pray the Lord's Prayer. And I just have to be honest, I don't believe that prayer. I, I'm still working on it. I just don't because in it, it says, give us this day our daily bread. Um, and I just don't believe that. You know, I went to school. I got a job. I got a paycheck. I go to the grocery store. I give me my daily bread. Mm. I do that. Mm. And so it matters that I'm praying that prayer next to somebody who doesn't necessarily know where dinner is coming from tonight but they know that God's going to provide it. And they know that God's providing my dinner every bit as much as God's providing their dinner. And so I'm learning that from them. They're teaching that to me. We're doing this side by side. And so our time of sharing and joys and concerns um, is, is just this incredible moment where, you know, folks that are relying daily on the hand of God just are, have a better ear tuned to God than I do who thinks I can be self-sufficient all the time. Uh, you know, scripture, uh, you know, throughout the Bible is just over and over again written to an audience of the oppressed. It's written to and by the incarcerated, uh, the, the folks that are, that are poor, that are being targeted by, by violence. And so this is the scriptural audience uh, so we believe we're going to understand scripture better when we're doing it alongside. And so it matters that someone can stand up on a Sunday morning and say, you know, it's cold outside. Um, I don't have money for my gas bill and I'm scared and I'm not necessarily asking you to fix that for me. Uh, but we pray about it with me. Mm -hmm. 
And then to let the very next person stand up and say, you know, our last kid just went off to college and that's exciting for us, but we're also empty nesters now and that's really sad. And we know you can't fix it, but will you pray with us uh, about that? And to let those two prayers be equal before the eyes and ears of God is a tremendous thing. And so, yeah, our hard living folks uh, come and stay because they feel that radical hospitality. But a lot of times our middle and upper class folks are coming and staying because they're feeling that as well. And they know that they can let down the masks that too often our churches require of us uh, to kind of assimilate into a worshiping body. Well, and that's exactly what I was going to ask with the, with the, that radical hospitality idea of, of love of the stranger, right? How do you identify the stranger in, in for, for us who grew up in, in white middle-class areas, well, it's not us, right? You know, and, and how do you begin to break down that wall of, oh crap, we're the stranger too. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, we're, we're all, we're all in need all the time. Uh, and when we can let that go and go, here we are, here I am, take those masks off, you know, break those walls down and go, you know, I, I may not have the same needs as somebody else, but I'm still, I still have needs. I'm still the stranger in this case. Um, and how do we bring those strangers together? And I, you, you said that beautifully, you know, you, you, you have people sitting beside each other who one doesn't know where their gas bill or their next meal is coming from. And the other is sending their kids off to college and both valid things, right? Both valid emotional, you know, life things, um, and situations to be in and to come together and be able to pray those prayers together. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. There was a time, so folks, uh, my husband and I, you know, went through grad school, did, did the dissertation defense thing, you know, way overeducated for our own goods. And, uh, you know, that process can be a challenging one. And, uh, you know, he would say so if he was here, uh, my husband's uh, dissertation process was a struggle. It was hard um, and it was rough for him to get through. And so for him to lift that up on a Sunday morning and have folks um, that don't necessarily have a GED, um, maybe they're working on that part uh, themselves, and, and to follow up with him week after week and say, how's that going for you? You know, I, I'm struggling with, with this part on, on, on this test. You know, how's your studying been? And to know that we're walking together in, in prayer um, and in the journey together, it's that mutuality and accompaniment um, that is so important uh, in our community. We know we can't always fix it. And again, middle and upper class folks like to think we can. We like to be the solution to other people's mm -hmm. problems. Hard living folks understand that none of us can fix any of it. Uh, and so they're much better at the, the value of relationships, simply walking together in mutuality and accompaniment. And an amazing thing happens when we're willing to do that. We no longer become the solutions. Jesus becomes the solution. And we're able to decenter ourselves and recenter Christ. So um, switching gears a little bit, let's put on your other hat. Um, uh, talk a little bit about your partnership and, and, and how all that works a little bit, just so some of our listeners who uh, don't, aren't familiar with you can kind of grasp uh, that other hat that you wear, too, that's really a part of uh, the work that you all do. Sure. So the, our sister organization, uh, owned by Church for All People, is Community Development for All People. Um, 
And we do a whole range of things, as I mentioned, affordable housing, youth development, health and wellness. Um, and it all started out of what's called a free store. Uh, the free store gives away about $2 million in clothing and household items each year. Uh, we serve about 20,000 families. And it's actually the free store that came first. Um, it was out of the free store that the church was birthed. You know, some churches start ministries, it's the other way around. The free store was really intentionally designed, yes, to give away clothing and household items, but the stuff is actually secondary to the relationships that it builds. And so very early on, it was intentional about bringing folks together across race and class. And so the invitation was to our middle-class suburban churches, yeah, come and bring your donations, but then follow those donations into the free store and build relationships with, with folks that are shopping. And so very intentional about volunteers being shoppers and shoppers being volunteers. There are no qualifications to shop. You never have to prove your worthiness of charity. There are no income restrictions. I definitely have stuff from the free store um, because again, we're on equal footing. We're doing this together. We see the, the clothing that is given away through the free store really as a manifestation of God's grace. And so here's my other Greek lesson and then I'll leave you alone. <laughs> I was like, I think that's more Greek than we've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> it's great. It's great. <laughs> So the Greek word that we translate into grace is charis, and literally translated, um, it's, it's God's gift. You know, charis means gift. So like Eucharist, right, is God's good gift, or like charisma, you know, is, is that, that, you know, the, the gift of the spirit. Um, and so for us, we see this, this free stuff as God's gifts to us and it's freely received and so it's freely given um, and far be it from us to ever interrupt God's grace um, you know we never God never makes us prove that we are worthy of of grace it's there it's this free gift and so you know as folks are shopping in the free store we see it literally as people touching God's grace you you thumb through the racks and you you take grace off the shelf and you put it in your bag you know maybe you ride home on the bus with grace on your lap maybe you've got some clothes for your kids to wear to school and so if it's like me growing up you know mom and dad you know spread grace out on the bed and then you pick out what you want to wear the next day and you go to school the next day literally clothed in god's grace and so for us I mean, so we are a Methodist church, you know, we're, we're into, you know, Wesleyan grace, there's provenient grace, justifying grace, sanctifying grace. And so it, on some level, doesn't even matter if the folks shopping in the free store get this deeper level of what we're doing, because it's God's provenient grace. It's there, whether we, we want it, whether we realize it before we even uh, think uh, to, to ask for it, it's God's good gifts for us. And so... The, the free store was really founded with these ideas. It was intentionally designed to build relationships across race and class. And then as we began to pray together and worship together, then the church was birthed out of the free store. And really everything else that uh, has come in this setting after that uh, started uh, with that foundation. And it continues to be our flagship ministry today. I, I want to take a lap around the church because that, I'm pumped. <laughs> I, 
I told I, I told love you that. The, I told you the entire time while I was there, dude. Like you need to come see this because this will be something that yeah. will right up your alley. And, well, and, and one of the things that I, I one of the things that there were two other ministries too that were there uh, that that I really kind of fell in love with. One of those was um, your affordable housing and and that initiative, and then the bicycle ministry. I was like, man, I would. I would love to figure out how we could do this in Tahlequah because uh, I think it would be something that would work for us and, um, and, and just, you know, what would that look like here? And like, you know, so you want to talk about those a little bit just to kind of brush people up or educate people on that too. Sure. So, so let's start with the housing because it gives me a chance to talk about the other sort of foundational uh, philosophy or theology that came out of the free store. So, for us, you know, so we opened the free store, right? We, we stockpiled donations for months and months. We finally opened the doors. Turns out people like to shop. People really like to shop for free. And, <laughs> you know, unlike Target or Walmart, where you go two days in a row and it's the same basic stuff on the shelves, by definition, our inventory changes every single day. And so people kept coming back, which is exactly what we wanted them to do for, sake, for the sake of building relationships and the inclusive body of Christ. But then this human fear and perception of scarcity sets in, like, what if we run out of stuff? Um, and, you know, it, it, it threw us for a second. But we quickly found that no matter how much stuff we gave away, by God's grace, there was always more coming in. And in fact, these days, the challenge is just to keep up with the volume of donations that come through the door. And, um, you know, it, it's literally piled floor to ceiling in places in our building. And so it really got us thinking, what if we worship a God of abundance, not a God of scarcity? We see in Genesis, there's an abundance. We see in Revelation, there's an abundance. And in the middle, there's all these stories about human greed and fear and perception of scarcity that gets humanity in all sorts of trouble. But what if we're generous with one another and that triggers a return to God's abundance that was originally intended? Um, and so for us, we take literally the scripture of loaves and fishes. We've watched it happen way too many times not to just believe that, it, that it's real. We've watched <laughs> not enough food, soup feed too many people over and over again. And in particularly, uh, we, we like the version in John just because we see ourselves in it. Um, it's in John where the apostle Andrew, um, who doesn't get all that much time in scripture, you know, he doesn't pop up all that much. And, and so the story of loaves and fishes is his huge opportunity to shine because Jesus is like, you know, we should feed all these people. And Andrew's like, here's this little boy's lunch. Um, and if he had stopped there, he'd be the hero of the story. <laughs> but he does what we too often do, and he immediately denigrates the gift. He says, but what is this for all these people? And it's in that moment that Jesus says, you know, sit down, I'll handle this. And he does. He feeds the, the multitude and it's a good day. Um, you know, and, and all the kind of seminarians will, will look at the story. You know, they get 12 baskets of, of leftovers and, and why is there 12 and what does that mean, blah, blah, blah. We've become interested in this idea of what if God meant for us to use those leftovers, use those scraps to just go do the miracle all over again. Mm -hmm. What if he meant for the folks that were there that day to take that scrap of bread, 
put it on the dinner table and say to you know your family of five tonight, you won't believe what I saw this dude do today. And this is how we're gonna eat dinner tonight. This scrap of bread is gonna feed us and we'll all be satisfied. And instead actually what we see happen in, in the book of John is everyone comes back the next day and they're hungry and they're angry and they're frustrated. You know, Moses gave, gave us manna from heaven. Why won't you feed us? And then Jesus is like, I'm the body of Christ. You know, I'm mm -hmm. the, you know eat of me. And everyone's like, what are you a cannibal? I don't understand. <laughs> um, and it, you know, he gets kind of frustrated. They get kind of frustrated and everyone goes away. Um, and so for us, it, it's become this captivating invitation into taking whatever we have, no matter how meager it seems and offering it towards God to, for God to do what God does and do great things with it. And so I know that's a bit of a tangent, except that it's truly the foundations of, of everything around here, but in particular, the housing ministry, you know, we're a church, we don't know anything about housing. Um, but through the relationships in the free store, we started listening for what the hopes, dreams and aspirations were for our community. And we were hearing folks say they want safe, decent, affordable housing. And so there's, the, there's kind of a secular sociological uh, corollary to what we call the divine economy of abundance in that it's asset-based community development. It's this idea that everything you have is an asset, never a deficit. And too often our communities uh, get denigrated, told what's wrong with us, what's broken, what's missing. And we just refuse to buy into that and, and play that game. Um, instead, we insist that in God's hand, everything is an asset, never a deficit. And so the point is this, it's not that we ignore the problems. Again, it's that in God's hands, the problems themselves are assets. So we know that our community has housing vacancy and blight. We know our community has joblessness and unemployment. We know that our community has homelessness, but what if in God's hands, those things themselves are assets, not deficits. Then all of a sudden the vacant house is opportunity for someone to live. The unemployment is a ready workforce that you can go put to work fixing up the, uh, the house. And then if you're gonna put the time and money into the house, the homelessness is absolutely an asset because you need someone to live in the house. And so that's very much how we started out. Um, started very small with, with one duplex. Uh, we were terrible at it. <laughs> you know, we're church, not contractors. You know, we right. put out the call, who wants to come help us fix up this house? Um, by God's grace, we got all these volunteers who were expert plumbers and electricians and carpenters in their own imaginations. <laughs> <laughs> And so we ended up in this situation where, you know, I mean, the, the conventional wisdom is you're supposed to measure twice and cut once. For us, it was a strategy of, you know, if we cut enough pieces of drywall, something's going to fit. <laughs> Something to fit. That's right. <laughs> to junior high mission trip. <laughs> Absolutely. And there, there's even this classic story of our, um, our founding pastor, Pastor John, who serves as the executive director of the nonprofit. You know, he, we, we didn't pull permits to, to do any of the construction. And so we got shut down by the city for a code violation. And so the classic story is him standing on the on the front porch of this house trying to explain to the code officer, you know, the principle of separation of church and state. And you know, you're with the government and we're a church, you know, and the code officer just wasn't having it. it was absolutely mm -hmm. not. 
but all this to say, I mean, we were bad at this. We just were. Um, but, you know, when you take the scraps that you're given, when you start with what God's given you, no matter how meager it seems to you, if he'll offer it forward, God will do big things with that. And so since that time, mm -hmm. about the decade or so that we've been doing housing, um, we've now done about $60 million in affordable housing. One in four houses in the census tract just north of us have been touched, whether it's gut rehab, new build, or there's also grants for current homeowners to do external repairs on their houses. Um, we've completed three tax credit initiatives, each with around 60 units of, of rental housing. Um, we're about to break ground on, on our fourth one. And so it is about leaning into uh, the gifts that God gives and then letting that scale to, to the full vision of what God would have for us. And so the housing's been uh, really captivating for us. It's, it's not where we thought we'd be, you know, 15 years ago, uh, but it's been a huge opportunity for us. Uh, you know, and we, we believe literally in the widow's might. It is the pennies, nickels, and dimes that go in the offering plate on Sunday morning from our hardest living community members that, that yields that $60 million in housing for the community. Yeah. So, so you've talked a lot about grace this morning, which <laughs> absolutely love. Um, and, and, and what I see as you describe your ministry is, is walking through those steps of grace, right? Uh, we, we just had this, we started with this, you know, whether it was the housing, whether it was the free store, whatever. And, and we started here and we sucked at it. It was terrible. It was awful. We didn't know what we were doing, but now we're here. You know, we, we see God in, in these moments of, of prevenient grace, if you will, as we're starting up and we're trying to figure this out and we go, oh, here we are, you know, and, and those things build and into justifying and sanctifying and, and it's beautiful. And, and we just never know where that prevenient grace is going to go. Right. Um, and I, I, I absolutely love how you talked about the free store and was like, we're, we're laying grace out in these clothes and, uh, uh, and through these things. And that's beautiful. Um, cause we talk a lot about grace through baptism and communion and, 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 and things like that, that are the sacraments and they're high holy and, and we get the grace there. But I think we forget grace in free stores in bringing people together in music and worship. I think we forget to talk about grace there uh outside of the things that we hold true grace right uh in in the way I, I god i just think that's beautiful because you're 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 in i don't know embedding's not the right word i don't like that word uh <laughs> but you're you're planting those seeds of grace in in people so they can go oh that's where god was at and and you can go oh that's where god's at you know and and as you move forward it doesn't limit you to just a free store or just housing, or just a church. It, it opens the door to so much more to take those crumbs of, of fish and bread and go, here's how we're gonna eat today. And that's absolutely beautiful and absolutely something I think we forget to do as a church is to take those and go, oh, here we go, you know? And, and so thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think we're really challenged to re-examine, you know, what are the means of grace? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, what do we mean by that? And, and where are we limiting ourselves when we narrow mm -hmm. uh, the definition of the, the means of grace? Right.
Right. So as, as you were sharing with us, I mean, you can obviously see the joy in what you do, uh, both with yeah, both for sure. and, and, and love and care for ministry. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our uh, listeners uh, or anything else that you'd like to like talk about? Hey, I, you know, this is something else I want to talk about, you know, get it all on the table. Uh, well, Matt, you did bring up uh, the bike shop, so maybe I'll just yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. On, on that, you know, we've had the opportunity to just spin off any number of other initiatives around here, um, and you know, as I mentioned, we've seen the church really as this manifestation of the inclusive body of Christ, um, and that's been really cool for us. What in partnership, uh, particularly with uh, a group called the Kerwin Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnicity at Ohio State University, they started to give us um, this kind of secular sociological language uh, to, to pair with the uh, sacred language that we've been using. And so they gave us this language called Third Place. It actually comes from a book by Ray Oldenburg, uh, The Great Good Place. And it's this idea that first place is where you live, second place is where you work or go to school, third place is where you hang out uh, when you're neither at work or at school. And it's this huge opportunity to build relationships across divides, so uh, to build social capital that you can in invest in the community. And there's actually two kinds of social capital. There's bonding social capital, where it's it's you're hanging out with folks like you. And that's kind of a lower threshold. It's a little bit easier to do because it's people you have things in common with. There's stuff to talk about. And it's important. It's, it's bonding social capital that we have with our families. It's bonding social capital that we cultivate, um, particularly for groups that are members of, of diasporas in their own communities. Maybe it's um, the Black Student Union in a predominantly white college institution, and so it's important for the health and well-being of that community. And there's there's something called bridging social capital. That's the social capital that's generated uh, between groups uh, when you don't have as much in common across cultures. And so for us, uh, we recognize that it might be easier for birds of a feather to flock together, but guess what? we're not birds, we weren't created to be. And particularly in a diverse neighborhood like ours, it's really important to generate that bridging social capital uh, because even though we're overall diverse, we still will tend to cloister among folks that are like us. And then as opportunity comes into our community, um, the, the, the way society works, that opportunity is more likely to be inequitably distributed. Uh, unless we're building that foundation of bridging social capital where folks are building those relationships across race, across class. So all that to say, we realized that's kind of what we had been doing without knowing it through the free store, through the church. And we come, became captivated by this idea of what if we begun to intentionally create third places all over our community? And so the bike shop was really designed to bring folks together around an interest of bikes. You know, on Sunday mornings, we're gathering around this idea of worshiping our God. What if, you know, in other settings, we gather for other reasons? Maybe it's around food and we're building relationships at table together. Well, so in the bike shop, we've got, you know, the kind of spandex racing dudes that, that you know, have $6,000 bikes. We've got bike commuters like myself. We have families that are biking for fun and for exercise with hard-living folks that bike as their primary means of transportation to pay their bills, to get their groceries. And 
the idea is to come together and do uh, do this thing together. So, you know, it's a full service bike shop. It sells bikes, repairs bikes, sells lights, helmets, and accessories. And it's a social enterprise. So it does youth mentorship, teaching youth to build and repair their bikes. It gives away children's bikes uh, to, uh, we've given away uh, over 600 bikes uh, out into the community in the couple of years that we've been open. And it's part of our health and wellness work. Um, so we, we distribute um, about 10 to 15,000 pounds of produce each week uh, out of our, our what's called the All People's Fresh Market, and that's actually now vastly expanding into a whole new initiative that'll double that. So we want healthy eating, and then we want healthy living. So we host weekly bike rides out into the community. And it's this classic example of third place, because we've got you know someone riding on their $6,000, you know, beautiful bike and then someone else on like a $10 mountain bike that's, you know, <laughs> you know right. down the way and we're doing it together. And so yeah. for us, this is incredibly important uh, for a number of reasons. One, for reasons I've already stated, we believe it's, it's fundamental to our own souls right. to be building these relationships. And we believe it's uh, sociologically important as we look for an equitable society. And so something interesting has happened in our community recently. When we first started housing, um, man, the vacancy, the blight, it was in many ways overwhelming. Now we've started to see transformation into our in our community um, and significant revitalization, which is a good thing. And we're aware of national trends in which there's a very narrow tipping point between blight and vacancy and gentrification and displacement. Mm. Uh, and so we're very cognizant that unless we're careful, the very folks we've been hoping to help could get pushed out. And so we're very intentional about expanding that tipping point into a broader plateau of a mixed income opportunity rich community where everyone that wants to stay can afford to stay folks that have been here for the long haul will be here as opportunity comes into the community and can benefit from that opportunity and so there's a wide range of strategies we're taking to ensure that happens in the long haul we're um, putting added focus on our rental development in addition to first-time home ownership to ensure that rents uh, are kept low in our community and you know other developers will do more high-end stuff around us and that's cool as long as we've got a threshold of affordable rents as well we're doing other things to to raise income and do workforce development but the overall idea is let's build a third place in our community where folks are coming together across cultural divides to build that bridging social capital so that everyone can benefit from that opportunity uh, that, that's coming into our, our neighborhood. And so we see uh, initiatives like Bikes for All People as a critical aspect of doing that. I love that, that, that idea, the third place of, of where are you going? You know, where, where are you hanging out? What are you doing? And, and if we can create that space, that's, that's beautiful. That's what the church should be, right? Uh, it shouldn't just be a Sunday morning thing uh, or just a church building thing. Um, I love that. Um, we, so we have listeners from, uh, we have like three or four listeners. They live all over the place. Um, there's five. <laughs> is there, <laughs> yes. <laughs> is, is if, if there's, if they want to help, where do they go? What do they do? 
can they come out and serve with you guys? Can they send money? Can they send donations? Tell us a little bit about that of how, how people listening to this can be involved. Well, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> No, honestly, your timing couldn't be better. We are in the process of an initiative called Forward Together. Um, we, because we are expanding our fresh market, um, we, we actually just turned um, what used to be a drive-through liquor store across the street from our church into a beautiful fresh market uh, where we can give away produce to the whole community. And so um, it used to be that we had volunteers unloading by hand these 15,000 pounds of produce through the narrow doors of a little mm -hmm. storefront. Now we've got, you know, a drive through liquor store that has garage <laughs> doors that, that open and a forklift can go right through. And then, you know, I don't know too much about drive through liquor stores, but I'm told <laughs> that, you know, that, that there's refrigeration, right? So the whole side, uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> right? <laughs> So the whole side is refrigeration. And so what used to hold, you know, beer and liquor uh, is now holding fruits and vegetables. And so we can um, hold more for longer and be able to give away more into our community. And so we currently lease that, that property. We've, um, uh, we kind of took a risk and uh, the, the city bought it, we're leasing it from them, but they wanted a commitment for us from us to buy it. Uh, within the calendar year, they're going to sell it on the open market, which we're not super excited about. And so that really prompted us to think creatively about how do we not only go about buying this, but as soon as um, our fresh market uh, was able to move into that space, it gave us opportunity to have our bike shop, which was historically next to the fresh market, double in its size by knocking out a wall between those two. So then the bike shop can open up. Uh, and the trick with that is, you know, we've been renting that space for these years. So what would it look like to expand our footprint there as well and, and buy that property? Well, now all of a sudden we're talking about, you know, uh, you know, $250,000 to, to buy and rehab both of those properties. And then we're like, well, if we do that, you know, we've got some debt on our current property and we could do way more programming if we weren't paying that mortgage so let's pay down you know the 250 dollars on that so there's a half million dollars you know and um and, and if if we if we do that you know like i said we want to buy the other properties that brings us to three quarters of a million and and if we're going to do that we might as well just raise a million dollars in the next year so right <laughs> so we are in the middle of of this this initiative called forward together and it's it's a way for the community to get involved in, in what we're doing to really look at what's next you know shore up uh our our current foundations and our current ministry center live into these opportunities for the fresh market and for the bike shop and and then invest in in the future. Uh, we're we're just super excited to see what what God's doing next. Uh, we never know where that provenient grace will lead. And so I think the invitation is is to join us in in that. And maybe if I send you guys a link, you'll post it below. Yep. It, yes, please. <laughs> that part of it. Um, but then the the other invitation is just come and see, come and experience. Uh, you know who we are and what we're doing because 
we believe it, it's changed our lives. It certainly affected uh, my life and, and the course of, of how I thought things were going to go for me and absolutely for it, for the better. And so come and see, come and experience, and then go back into your own communities yes. and do likewise. Um, and we are highly motivated to help churches and individuals uh, to do that. One way we do that is through the All People Conference, uh, where I got to meet Matt uh, this past year. Um, it, it happens every year in October. This year it's October 27th through 29th. Um, and it's an opportunity to just take the deep dive. We're here for three days. You learn all about uh, these, these ideas and concepts. If you want to uh, start a free store. We'll help you with that. If you just want to kind of learn about the ethos and philosophy, we'll do that too. Um, and so it's a great way to uh, just come and get get a sense of all these different things that are going on, and then to take those scraps home with you, yes. and and put it before your church and say, you won't believe what I saw God doing. Let's go and do it one more time together. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And we'll, we'll have, um, <laughs> airs, we'll have all those links up so we can share. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you know, we'd encourage you to do the same thing too. Uh, you know, so you can say, Hey, I actually got to talk on this thing and you know, it was, <laughs> it was interesting. Um, but we thank you for your time, Caitlin. I know, um, you're like yes, a lot thank of you. like us and I mean, you wear two hats and you know, we, um, and we know you're probably being pulled in a whole bunch of different directions. Um, and so we give you thanks for your time, uh, being with us today. And, uh, you know, you're always welcome to come back and talk about the, the great work that you all are doing or, you know, just even inspiring us. Or, like I said, you use more Greek on this podcast than it's been used <laughs> in the last two years. So you're more than welcome to come back. Um, but we give you thanks for your time. And, and we want to thank our listeners for listening. And we want to encourage you mm-hmm. to go online, uh, look at our look at the website, because the website will have a link to all the things that they're doing. And and, and we don't even encourage you to uh, sign up for the con- uh, for the um the conference. conference so that way um you know you can uh, maybe zach and i may be both there again um you know and uh you, you get to meet us and get to meet caitlin and see all the great work that's happening there because when i went last year it, it was uh it was inspiring for me at a time where i really needed it and i really enjoyed it and loved it and so much so that i just kept sending zach snapchats of stuff that like dude we, we got to do this or this will be a cool idea and um yeah and so we want to encourage our listeners to look at all that stuff and and like i said they're doing great ministry there and uh, we thank you for doing the great work of the kingdom that you're doing. And, um, you know, for those of you listening, uh, go on our website, look at our stuff, uh, like us, share us. Um, please give us uh, some feedback. Uh, you know, all, just give us five stars and say it was okay. <laughs> say whatever you want. <laughs> uh, we, we need that exposure so we can get uh, things like this, like things that are Caitlin, Caitlin's done and, and, and her yeah. church and, and all that great stuff that's going on in the community. So that way people Helps can see that, um, instead of those people that are living their faith in an unhealthy way that we're trying to provide a healthy way that people can see that mm-hmm. God is actually at work in this world. Yeah. And so, uh, Caitlin, I give you thanks for your time again. And Thank so, you for so the, much. So for the Bearded Theologians, I'm Matt Franks. I'm Zach Bechtold. Thanks for checking us out. Thank you for listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening and we hope that you share our content online uh, through Facebook and social media. And we hope that you check out our uh, Beardcast store at beardedtheologians.com and pick up some great Bearded Theologians gear. We hope you have a good day.